0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of conversations with spiritually awakening people. We've done over 600 of them now, and if if this is new to you and you'd like to check out previous ones, please go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and look under the Past Interviews menu. This program is made possible through the support of appreciative listeners and viewers, So if you appreciate it and would like to help support it, there's a PayPal button on every page of the website, and there's also a donation page which suggests alternatives to PayPal. My guest today is Shalane Harkin. Welcome, Shalane. Thanks, Rick. We had a Senator Tom Harkin in Iowa for years. Any relation?
1: Not that I know of. Uh,
0: He was really nice. I first heard about Shalane From Mary Reed, who has been on BatGap several years ago, she sent an email and she said, I I saw on the BatGap website that you have hundreds of suggestions for guests, so I'm just checking to see if the intuitive poet Shalane Harkin is in your queue. She's causing a major stir right now in spiritual circles with the recent release of her first book, Susceptible to Light. She's frequently compared to Hafez, Rumi, and Rilke, so much so that Daniel Ladinsky, renowned author of seven books on the great mystic poets, reached out to her personally and has generously endorsed her book. Her second book is due to be published next month, just five months after her first, and that's now because her second book, Let Us Dance, is coming out today, isn't it? Yep.
1: Yep. This morning. This morning, became cool. available.
0: Good, yep. good timing. And, and that wasn't <laughs> actually bad. pre-planned, was it? I mean, in terms of having it coincide with this interview. But first, let's hear a little story about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And very soon in this interview, within the next few minutes, I want to have you read a poem. But let's start by just telling us how you got to what you're doing now.
1: Sure. The last seven months have been completely transformational in all kinds of ways. Rewind to uh, November 2020. And I had a big collection of my poetry that I'd been sitting on for about 12 years and had kind of vaguely been thinking, maybe someday it would be nice to to put a, publish a book. And it was kind of just a dream that didn't really have legs. And I had all kinds of inhibitions about what that process might reveal and I was scared to move forward with it. And so I was kind of in this just uh paralysis mode with moving forward. And then <clears throat> the energies catalyzed in this, just the precise by design feeling way. Um, in which my motivation really became activated to move forward and to treat the process of publishing more as an experiment rather than a success fail. And so I just started taking these steps forward and and reached out to everyone in my even very distant circle who had any know-how about publishing. And just things started moving and doors started opening at such an incredible rate. And I decided to self-publish this first book, Susceptible to Light, and uh, didn't know anything about that process. And so I bought two books that I had I loved dearly, both written by Daniel Ladinsky, these Hafez books. And I was deeply inspired by them again. And I, I bought them to really, the books have beautiful formatting. So I wanted to just be inspired by that formatting. And then I did another experiment. I decided to pray to Hafez every night and ask for inspiration help and ask for publishing help. And I just really went for it with this prayer. And I asked that Hafez find all the delegates in the spirit world and all the delegates in this world to be my marketing team. (laughs) And uh, every night just had this intense, focused uh, prayer. I would go on a night walk and just chat with Hafez. My poetic inspiration started flowing through me like never before. It was really just so noteworthy that something had changed. Anyhow, long story short, three weeks into that prayer, Daniel Ladinsky discovered my book and reached out to me and all kinds of things have opened since Mm -hmm. then.
0: Yeah, you and I were talking yesterday, and um, we were recollecting a quote, and I looked it up, and here it is. It's from English explorer W.A. Murray. He said, Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves, too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of <coughs> events, issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's concepts, quote, whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it, quote. So that's what you did. Yep. Another part of Mary Reed's um, email was, she said that your story of connection to the great muse is inspiring. Mm. Is that what you mean by Hafiz? Is Hafiz sort of your muse?
1: Uh, good question. I learned about Hafez poetry. For those who might not be familiar, Hafez is a mystic Persian poet. Mm
0: -hmm. Kind of like Rumi and sort of in that genre, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Maybe a little bit more irreverent, (laughs) but very similar. Yeah. And I don't actually remember when he lived, Mm -hmm. but I heard a Hafez poem in a therapy session when I was, I think, 20 years old. And it was so potent. It was really penetrating. And it really had a major impact on just shifting the way I, I thought about God and spirituality. Hafez poetry has been an inspiration for a long time, but my poetic process really began a long time ago when I was about 21.
0: A long time ago, 11 years ago.
1: Yeah, 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like a while. Yeah, and poetry had been an important part of my life, but there was a lot of efforting involved in it. And then, I don't know, one day I just decided again to just do kind of an experiment and I committed to writing what I said was a bad poem for 30 days and sharing it every day. And that commitment just really kind of gave me, it loosened me up and it gave me some permission to explore and uh, just let things flow more. And so on the second day of that experiment, something just really just cracked open wide in me and a poem just came pouring through. So rather than this like effortful process that would take weeks or months to like finally scramble a poem together, this just came through as quickly as I could write it. And that's been my process ever since. Poems come- Which poem was that that
0: came streaming through? Should I read it? I've
1: marked it. It's called Say Wow.
0: I think I have that one here.
1: Say Wow. Each day before our surroundings become flat with familiarity and the shapes of our lives click into place, dimensionless and average as Tetris cubes. Before hunger knocks from our bellies like a cantankerous old man and the duties of the day stack up like dishes and the architecture of our basic needs commissions all thought to construct the four-door sedan of safety. Before gravity clings to our skin like a cumbersome parasite and the colored dust of dreams sweeps itself obscure in the vacuum of reason. Each morning before we wrestle the world and our hearts into the shape of our brain, look around and say, wow. Feed yourself fire, scoop up the day entire like a planet-sized bouquet of marvel sent by the universe directly into your arms and say, wow. Break yourself down into the basic components of primitive awe and let the crescendo of each moment carbonate every capillary and say, wow. Yes, before our poems become calloused with revision, let them shriek off the page of spontaneity. And before our metaphors get too regular, let the sun stay a conflagration of homing pigeons that fights through fire each day to find us.
0: Wow. <laughs> I have to say yeah. wow.
1: <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
0: You say it poured through. and You just scribbled it down as fast as you could. Try to elaborate on the subjective experience of that. You're out taking a walk or something and all this, this whole thing came to you. I mean, I've heard of things like that. For instance, Mozart said that sometimes a whole symphony would come to him in a flash and then he would have to sit down and write it all out, all the different instruments. But the whole thing was like cognized in seed form or something. Mm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I was, uh, I'd shown up at the computer lab. I was in my college um, computer lab. And I, you know, I'd made this commitment. So I was going to write my poem. And yeah, it really just, uh, what happened and what still happens is it's like I'm retuned to a different frequency. It's like there's a buzz that comes over me and the words just start, just start coming. And uh, it kind of feels like they're pouring through. So that's how it, how it felt. Um, Yeah, and there was kind of an urgency to it. And I just needed to. To write it down as quickly as I could. And anymore, I what I've learned is that if I if I don't do that, if I don't find a pen or if I don't get to a computer, like it's it's gone. The magic is gone. I can remember the basic theme of the poem, but there's no there's no life to it.
0: Do you fiddle with it and tweak it and refine it? Or does it pretty much you just pretty much write it down the way it came and that's it?
1: Mm. Yeah, good question. Just ever so slightly, not much at all. So this book of poems that I just put out, uh, well, both of them are this way, but this book that I just put out today, uh, Let Us Dance, it's all poems that um, have come through in the last seven months. And for every poem that came through, probably five to 10 others have, but the ones in this book are the ones that needed almost no edits at all.
0: So the best ones tend not to need edits.
1: Yep. Yep. Hmm. Exactly.
0: When you feel a poem coming, is it like the beginnings of labor pains, or do you get a tingling in your toes? Or I mean, what is? The, <laughs> is there some kind of like feeling, like oh, oh, here comes one?
1: Um, it's always really exciting when one comes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they come a lot, so it's a very familiar feeling. Yeah, there's a tingle. There's a full body tingle to <laughs> uh-huh. it.
0: <laughs> and you're not trying to make it come. You're just minding your own business, no. and all of a sudden, here comes a no. poem.
1: Totally, exactly. Yeah. I've noticed walking can bring them on, though. <laughs> walking and being in the shower can also bring them on. And driving also. There's an urgency to it. And the experience is very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's an urgency to it. And it would be a little uncomfortable to not write it down. Right.
0: Interesting. Speaking of taking a shower, I was taking a shower a couple of hours ago and I was listening to the radio and they had a story on NPR about this guy who had suffered some kind of brain injury and he was perfectly articulate. He could talk perfectly well. But what happened was he suddenly could play the piano and had never played before. And they were playing stuff that he plays, and it was fantastic, complicated, beautiful stuff. He took Hmm. his mother into a music store, and he sat down at a piano and just started playing this amazing stuff. And the salesperson in the store came over and said, wow, how long have you been playing? He said, just a few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, where does that come from? And, And, you know, in the case of poems, where does that come from? Do you feel like mm. there's some kind of transcendent mm. or celestial source of intelligence or intelligences like I guess a muse is supposed to be, like some higher being that is your muse or what?
1: Yes, yes. It feels like there's a mingling of me, my spirit, I guess, and something else. Because if I were just to try to sit down and write a poem right now, it wouldn't be that great. There wouldn't be that much to it. So it definitely, definitely feels that way. You ask, you know, what is that? How do you crack that open? How do you access that? And, And I don't know. I don't know if there's any kind of formula to that. But before this cracked open in me, I was in really a place of acute suffering and felt that there was no space in the world where I could share my heart and my voice authentically. And that was really my primary desire in life was to be able to do that. But I had all kinds of just conditioning and just repressive tendencies. So I, I was unable to do that. And it was, it was so painful. So I feel like I was kind of walking around constantly, though, with this deep prayer of, please, I need to be able to do this. So in some ways, I think it had to do with that. Um, just a really, really deep desire for really potent, true, deepest level connection with something.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that everybody in the world has genius locked up in them, mm, and nice. sort of the, the routines and the pressures of the world kind of kills that genius or represses it or dampens it down, and there's this sort of deep, repressed yearning, which I think perhaps accounts for a lot of the suffering people experience, because they know they're like multimillionaires who are just begging for change on the street.
1: Yes. Yeah, perfectionism, too, has, I think, a lot to do with clamping that down. In my experience, sort of a just a cracking open to a a willingness to, well, get out of control to some degree to allow that to happen. Yeah. And there's also, I think, just such a deep preciousness where this the genius lies. It's, I think, our most intimate self. And we so want that to be beautifully received. and. Then we have, you know, trauma around ways people have related to our creative expression in the past.
0: In other words, and, they uh, told you to go get a job as an accountant or something and forget all this poetry stuff and that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I agree with you. I I really do think that we all have some kind of genius that wants to express itself in its its unique way. That all of us have that.
0: Yeah. When I think along these lines, I I always extrapolate it out and and think, what would the world be like if everybody in the world unlock their full genius, you know, their full potential. The world would be so radically different.
1: Totally, yes. Well said. I have a poem that kind of speaks to that. Oh, let's do that. It's actually not one of the ones we have written down. Okay, um, doesn't matter. I'll just go with it. Okay, it's called Probing Joy. Which
0: book is this from?
1: This is from Let Us Dance.
0: Okay, your new one.
1: Probing Joy. I can't keep quiet. When there are still so many hearts that need resuscitation. So much buried power and truth. So many gifts to be resurrected. The richness waiting in you to be tapped is the inspired ink into which I dip my pen. Like a scientist who cannot stop penetrating new frontiers of this universe, my pen cannot stop probing the farthest reaches of joy. To prove again and again There are countless dimensions of you yet to be discovered. I cannot stop revealing the evidence that within every darkness can be found universes of whirling light.
0: Great. Love it. You know, on this theme of everybody having repressed genius, I think a lot of people externalize the blame, although perhaps some of it can be externalized. In other words, they might say, Mm -hmm. well, it was my parents or it was the educational system Mm -hmm. or it's the government or it's the deep state or whatever. And maybe there's some blame to be assigned to external influences, but ultimately, you can take it from here. Ultimately, I think we're the ones who have to take the initiative to unlock that inner potentiality, no matter why it has been locked up.
1: Yes. Yeah, and actually, I the degrees to which I felt stifled and stymied with, with this deep-level authentic expression the suffering of all that. And just my lack of contact with that, it was like my voice was in this incubation period. And now that it's busted out, like it does so with such gusto and such joy and such verve and excitement and such a deep belief, yeah, that that this capacity exists in all people and just a really potent desire to share that. And I don't know that I would have had that without all of those beautiful benefits, without the struggle of not having that for so long.
0: Yeah. If you help a a chick out of its egg, you're probably going to kill it. Or Mm. if you help a Mm. caterpillar out of the, uh, the butterfly out of the chrysalis, and there's a certain struggle in having to make that effort to escape that confinement oneself. But you end up, at least in these examples, the little being ends up healthier as a result or ends up living as a mm-hmm. result. I mean, were there birth pains associated with this blossoming of creativity? Did you have to like go through some yeah. kind of purgatory in order to clear stuff out?
1: Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Major. Yes. So, my 20s, I'm 32 now, and my 20s was just this really beautiful gauntlet of um, intensely healing. And to heal means to encounter your pain, that's the way I describe it, and, and move through it. Yeah, just intense healing and then intense creativity.
0: Were you doing so like was, spiritual practices and seeking and reading? and?
1: It was embodied practices. Like, of um, Such yeah, as? Yeah, hypnotherapy was my primary tool. Oh,
0: that's right. You became a professional hypnotherapist. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. Yep. But personally, too, I just would use that mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. I spent a lot of my 20s hypnotized. Huh. Yeah, and it, it was so so interesting because sometimes you said, you know, does the muse feel like it comes from a celestial kind of out there maybe source or something? But then also when I would crack open uh, my open my heart really and do a big cathartic release, almost always under under that would be a poem. And then also more recently, when I decided to publish this book, it was like this rapid fire. Skin shedding and burning through all the reasons that I hadn't published it before, of which there were many, all kinds of limiting assumptions and um, old frameworks that I needed to move through, and that is not comfortable. And that's why that's another reason why, yeah, so many of us don't pursue the things we most care about is because they're it's painful. It is painful. Totally worthwhile, but there's pain associated with it.
0: When you were being hypnotized <laughs> a lot. Explain a little bit what that experience was like. Most people don't probably have a really clear understanding and I've never been hypnotized. And oh, is yeah. it like a deep meditative state or was it?
1: I like to say that I had a boyfriend in high school whose mom was a hypnotherapist and she was always like trying to convince me to get sessions. And I thought, I thought she was so, wha- like I thought it was so, sounded so wacky. Like I, I wasn't really exposed to alternative modes of therapy at all until I was. So I like to say that because I think a lot of people have all kinds of wacky assumptions about what hypnotherapy is or can do, and I empathize with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you think about but, um, stage hypnotists and all who make, yeah, make people exactly. cluck like a chicken or something.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it can feel like manipulative and stuff. But then, yeah, I, I was in such an acute, uh, just a desperate and acute, constant state of distress that I became more open to anything that might help.
0: Why were you in and such a th- state of distress?
1: Well, I related to my suffering as though there was something wrong with me, and I didn't know how to to share my pain with with others. I'm a sensitive, perceptive person who just, I really need to live in a profoundly transparent and open and truthful, embodied, truthful way. And I didn't know how to do that. (laughs) So it was just really, it was agony.
0: (laughs) And that was causing the suffering, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, one of my good friends told me about a mutual friend who'd been trying hypnotherapy, and I got this hypnotherapist number right away. And I did a a distance, long distance session with him that night, and that first session transformed my life. Uh, it's an extremely beautiful method of hypnotherapy that really affirms that we all have an essential, inherent part of us that has always been healthy and happy and whole and inherently worthy of love and acceptance. So that's kind of the premise, and that we all have all the wisdom within us that we need to heal. So I really, I got in touch with that part of myself. And through getting in touch with this part of myself that was not only not broken, but inherently just totally worthy of love, just really dismantled, so much, and it, and for the first time in my adult life, my consciousness was kind of unlocked from all these just bit pain stories, and it was able to sink deeper into true connection with a a much more true self. So it's really a process of, I mean, I think all healing is really a, a process of uh, the development of consciousness.
0: It sounds a lot like you know my experience with meditation. It's just a different angle of going deep, you know, and exploring those finer levels and of clearing out the detritus that is accumulated.
1: Exactly. uh, Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. This theme that we brought up a couple of times now keeps coming back, which Mm -hmm. is that there's a phrase in the Brahma Sutras or someplace that says there's no joy in smallness. And as I'm talking to you, I keep thinking of that, that being constricted, being forced to run on one cylinder when you're an eight-cylinder engine cause, yes. causes pain. And, you know, you, th- yes. you think about the opioid epidemic and all. People are just, you know, in pain because they're bottled up. They're, they can't express mm. their, their full potential, and they, and they take the wrong angle trying to just blot yeah. things out even more. But I think it's a core
1: issue. Yeah. Should I read a poem about that? Yeah, please. It's just about encouraging the, the fullness yeah. of self, and um, it's called I'm Too Much. Got it. Yeah, and there's a lot of societal ideas about being too much and too big and arrogant and yeah,
0: whatever. Too big for your so britches.
1: Kind of <laughs> too big for your britches. But when we're just all that we are and sharing our full light, it's, just, it's beautiful and it's nourishing to others. It doesn't take from others. And so this poem is just reframing and reclaiming the phrase I am too much. I'll let the poem speak for itself, I am too much. It's time to reframe and reclaim the phrase, I am too much. It's time to practice being okay with it, lathering ourselves in it and basking in all that we are. Here goes, I'm too much. I want to devour suns for breakfast and kiss the center of every heart. I'm too much for niceties. All I want is to experience the inmost nectar of the soul. I'm too much. I'm divorcing myself from the timid, ongoingly gray life of a repressed sky. Let's dive into the center of our storms. I'm too much for small ideologies to encourage me to live in the margins of the heart on the outskirts of life. I'm too much to be appropriately tipsy. I want to pop the cork off this world and make all things intoxicated with glee. I'm too much, I want to stalk God all the way home to the center of every beauty and sweetness. Go forth glorious too much ones and pour your rivers of light that quench the world. Go forth and feed every ravenous soul from the generous table of your heart, knowing your essence is one of feast, not famine. Go forth and live in a way that reminds people how abundantly luminous each night is, bedecked in her stars. Let your too-muchness be your devotion. God, after all, is the queen of too much polyamorous with every religion and every heart as she is. And she does not stop making her point after only one galaxy. Yes, by all means, be too much. Your heart was made to be a gong, not a penny whistle. Your beauty is a downpour, not a sprinkle. Your voice is a nourishing meal for this hungry world, not a garnish. Your too much has been a tight judgment that tries to tie down your vastness and constrain the cosmos within you. Reclaim it and pour forth your stars. Reclaim it and become just the right size to hold the universe. Ah,
0: that is so good. <laughs> Thank you. You know, the whole notion of enlightenment and, and all, or, or of realizing one's essential nature as Brahman, Brahman actually means great. That's what the Sanskrit world means, the word means, the, the great. And the idea is that you engulf the universe. I mean, that which you are, the universe is a speck of dust within that vastness that, or that greatness. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So that's cool. I don't Thank mean you. to sound so dry and intellectual in response to these, but it, no. they just remind me of these types of no, things, they, you know.
1: <laughs> they ping other thoughts. Yeah, yeah, they, no, that's yeah, fantastic. They
0: do. And obviously you're capturing something which the saints and sages had experienced and understood and written down in various scriptures and so on. So it's a perennial wisdom, and, uh, you know, you're expressing it beautifully.
1: Thank you so much, Rick.
0: I listened to a couple of interviews, like the one Mary Reed did with you, I think, and another one or two. There was one where you said you felt like the top of your head was going to blow off or something because there was so much energy coming through. I mean, has that settled down and been integrated?
1: Kind of. Yes, it has. A couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I just really had to have a, a talking to with this muse. And um, I told it I needed a little bit of a vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually calmed down a little bit since then. The intense feeling where it actually started to hurt a little bit was when it was right in the beginning stages of process, of publishing this book, Susceptible to Light. And that was when I was going on these nightly night walks and and asking Hafez for inspiration. And it was just really, it was torrential. It felt like a tap was just turned on full blast.
0: Hmm. Kind of sounds like your crown chakra is opening or something. Yes. (laughs) Do you feel like that you're a uh, sense organ of the infinite or one of God's appendages serving a particular function?
1: Oh, wow. That's a really nice way to think of it. I'm really grateful. I love this experience so, so much. And my poetry, my experience of my poetry is I have such incredible trust in it, whereas I struggle with plenty of self-doubt in other areas. But with poetry, it's just like, oh, it's. I just completely trust it and I know it needs to be shared. And that there's value in sharing that. And there's just, so I'm just so, I'm so grateful for that experience. And then I've worked really hard. I've really done a tremendous amount of just being on this path, uh, which is messy and hard and intense, but I'm um, just really trying to keep my heart open and then going into all the reasons it's closed and then opening it again. So There's something about that that I think can be more universalized. Like I think blessings and and just cool, cool grace can come to people from doing that. But I don't think of myself as like, I don't know. I don't think I've gotten too lofty about thinking of myself. I'm not saying that you
0: think you're God's gift to humanity or something. I mean, I have the same sense. You're a servant. You're serving a particular function within your particular skill set, and it's having an influence on the world. And because you're doing that, it's like the powers that be, the gods or whatever, they say, okay, we got a live one here. Let's, let's yes. give her some juice.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, and it has, I mean, it's intensified so much since I started taking it seriously yeah. and validating the process more as I did when I, started publishing my work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we haven't mentioned it, but, um, you know, you're, you're a young mother. You have, how old are your kids? Four and one. Four and one. So it's not like you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs. You've, you've probably got a lot to do with them. Yes. Um, and husband, what does your husband do?
1: He's a, an audio engineer.
0: Oh, great. Wow.
1: Yeah. So he helped me a lot with the setup. Yeah.
0: Today. It's, it's <laughs> handy. And, I imagine that all of that helps to open your heart. You mentioned trying to keep your heart open. I'm sure that they are, hmm. they are nice little heart openers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Parenting is, I'll just be really transparent about it. Parenting is hard for me. They are heart openers, and they're my motivation to open my heart more than anything else. But also, do you have kids, No, Rick?
0: just animals.
1: Okay, right on. Not everyone feels this way, but... For me, kids bring it all up. It surfaces all the limitations that want to come up to be cleared because you do just want to be you know, perfect, unconditional love for your kids. And so all the escapist tendencies and all the issues with intimacy and all of that surfaces. So I call it just accelerated growth being a parent because in me there's more motivation to do the work, but it it also like it's so deeply humbling because it just puts your face in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Relationships of all kinds kind of put your face in it, and uh, yes, and sometimes you know people with a monastic inclination regard that as a quagmire <laughs> that serious spiritual seekers should avoid. But I think for mm. the vast majority of people, it's exactly what we need. Yeah, and without that, you can become very self-absorbed and idiosyncratic. <laughs> you don't have the mirror that you need to reflect your stuff back to you.
1: Yes you said it yes and kids are such fine-tuned mirrors
0: yeah have your kids inspired any poems no you don't have any <laughs> Actually, kid poems maybe
1: one or two <laughs> maybe they're not in the book uh-huh. no i don't feel that anything really inspires my poems mm. in the past a couple of people have asked me to to write poems for this or that custom written poems and it's it feels awkward,
0: hmm. so if you're asked to be the the poet for the next presidential inauguration'll you'll, you'll decline.
1: No, I would accept, <laughs> and I would just read one of the poems that came through on its own that felt like it most fit the occasion. Yeah
0: <laughs> Okay, you want to read another one now?
1: Sure, yeah. I'll read the one that really took off in quite a wild way, and I have a lot to thank it for for why i'm with you right now. It's what connected me with Mary Reed, So it just went viral. What's that one called? It's called The Worst Thing. And I'll just share a little bit before I read it. Before sharing this poem, I would get like, you know, 35 likes on my poems on Facebook, and like 50 was amazing, and three people sharing it was really cool, (laughs) and stuff like that. And so then I shared this one, and it like 30,000 people shared it. Wow, it took off. And like, uh, yeah, just totally, totally took off. And it's so interesting. Like, one person in particular shared this poem, and like 10,000 people found it on her page. And then I I got curious the other day, and I went back to her page to to look at other posts. And other posts get like, yeah, like 10 likes or whatever. And I'm not not sharing that because like, it, it was just... Every single thing about this process was so the forces of the universe were like this is happening. And it all just it all just went. So anyway, I'm so grateful for this poem. So so grateful. This is wouldn't have connected with Daniel Ledinsky like this is the one. So the worst thing.
0: And I don't know. Yeah, I guess we uh we in, in the intro, we explained who Daniel Ladinsky is. He's...
1: Yeah, I can talk more about that. That's a really cool story. Okay,
0: later on after we do this. Later on.
1: Uh. Sure. Okay. Okay. So the worst thing, the worst thing we ever did was put God in the sky out of reach, pulling the divinity from the leaf, sifting out the holy from our bones insisting God isn't bursting dazzlement through everything we've made a hard commitment to see as ordinary, stripping the sacred from everywhere to put in a cloud man elsewhere, prying closeness from your heart. The worst thing we ever did was take the dance and the song out of prayer, made it sit up straight and cross its legs. Removed it of rejoicing, wiped clean its hip sway, its questions, its ecstatic yowl, its tears. The worst thing we ever did is pretend God isn't the easiest thing in this universe, available to every soul in every breath.
0: Great. Love it. Thank you. I'll send you a song later. If I had thought of it, we could even have played it now, but I don't have it queued up. It's called Everything is Holy Now, and I, I forget the mm. name of the songwriter, but basically he talks about, you know, when he was a boy at school going to church, God was this distant thing, mm. and now everything is holy, every leaf, every bird song, every, every mm. everything, and that, I think, is really the reality. I think the whole universe would come to a screeching halt if God were not functional in every little subatomic particle. Yes. Next week, I'm going to interview a guy about intelligent design, which I had had a sort of a skeptical attitude toward of, because it, it has this sort of pseudo scientific connotation. But he's right on. He explains in great, great detail, scientifically, how we really couldn't have a universe if it, there were not some wow. in, guiding intelligence.
1: Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's a real paradigm. It's a way of living and relating to all things, this othering of God mm-hmm. and outsiding God. And we are disconnected from our, our bodies, ourselves, our wisdom, everything. There's an alienation of experience in this paradigm. Yeah, my poetry is really doing a lot to to try to crack open.
0: Yeah. And there's a <laughs> kind of a popular bias against People are ostracized Mm -hmm. and ridiculed for speaking the way we're speaking right now in certain circles, in scientific circles and and many others. There's, you know, the new atheists are all all the rage and very popular, Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett and people like that. So there's some kind of a theme in the culture that feels that appreciating everything as holy is somehow old-fashioned and superstitious or something like that.
1: There's so much. And just all the conditioning that we have, at least in this our society, around opening our heart. Because like there, all the sacred scriptures talk about the heart as the, there's just something about the heart that's important. That's the seed of God, whatever. But then vulnerability. Uh, but the thing is like, open your heart sounds like such a nice thing to say but we don't cuz there's so much pain in there and there's so much to move through and but there's so many ideas that we're not allowed to go into all the feelings that that we find when we really when we really do open our heart and connect with what's in there and there's so much beauty and wisdom in there and there's also pain and there's sort, sort of like you're we're allowed to get to the beauty and the wisdom and the good stuff but the pain like is too much or it's what you know so there's i think there is a lot in all kinds of ways that shuts us down from really connecting with this implanted you know divinity within us and then when our heart is shut down we're screwed from connecting with beauty and and, and love that's i do think is built into every part of the natural world
0: Well it's let's let's play with this one for a few minutes Sure as you're saying that i was thinking of like crabs and snails and Mm. conscious and things like that who need their shell you know they would be so vulnerable without their shell but they also have to sort of venture out of it in order to get food and stuff i don't know how good of an analogy that is for you know human beings but um you can see why hearts get shut down because we're battered by by so much and we need to protect that tender thing yeah but then on the other hand that entraps us Because as we've been saying earlier, we're we're meant to be the universe, we're meant to be vast, and yet we get hung up in a little shell. So how does one navigate the metamorphosis such that one can be utterly open and yet not uh, vulnerable in the sense of being damaged by that openness?
1: That's such a good question. Yeah. Well, how to open it all in the first place? I feel like we, we just really need either a very deeply safe environment, or even just another person around us, in which because the 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 reason that we don't open to the hard stuff or share our full stuff is because it's um, been presented to us as if we, you know, if we're struggling too much or if we're whatever isn't. You know, we've been told as not acceptable that that will be a liability to our belonging. And we're so wired for belonging that then we just, ha- you know, we need to play these roles that we think will get us the belonging that we also want. So we need people that we need to know that it's safe to go into our messy, painful stuff and that, that people will still just totally cherish us and love us. And or for me with hypnotherapy, I was able in that state, to create a safe enough place inside of myself and really connect with this part of me that was like, oh, I'm good, actually. In the deepest level, I'm okay. And that didn't obliterate all of my, you know, limitations and foibles and shadows and things, but it allowed me to then, it actually allowed me to encounter them and move through them rather than just stay stuck in them because I thought they were me. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: and I'm I'm glad you mentioned hypnotherapy because I was thinking, you know, there are processes which enable a person to simultaneously culture both strength and sensitivity. As a matter of fact, mm. a few weeks ago, oh, I yeah. I interviewed Anita Morjani, and she her new her new book is called cool. "Sensitive Is the New Strong." Oh yeah, and and it's kind of a contradiction in terms, you know, because sensitive mm. seems vulnerable, uh, and how could sensitive be strong? But I think we can perhaps understand how it could be, and maybe we could even elaborate the point a bit.
1: I would love to talk about that point. Yes, I really deeply, deeply believe that. Sensitive can mean sensitive to, to truth. And I think a synonym for sensitive can be being very perceptive and being sensitive to, yeah, when things aren't aligned with truth and, and feeling like, oh, that hurts, you know, because we are so sensitive to love and truth, and that's so important. And then it's a journey in just finding uh, finding a way to address those things in a strong way that isn't coming from, like, being victimized by those things, but then we can speak about them.
0: Well, this image comes to my mind of, you know, the strong man. He's like the bully. Man, get out of my way! He barges his way through the crowd. Nobody gets in his way, and, and you know, it doesn't matter who he tramples on. He's strong, but really, mm-hmm. such such a person is weak. They're just expressing a sort of a inner inadequacy that they're trying mm-hmm. that they're trying to compensate for by yes. by being a big you know bully, <laughs> and uh, yes. you know, but. It's, the, it's really been the sense, I, I mean, and, you know, there have been such people who have conquered nations and who have done big things on the world stage. But I think the people we most admire, the great geniuses, the scientists, the, the composers, the poets, are people who were, you know, acutely sensitive. They're the ones who really tapped into some deeper genius and whose, whose work has stood the test of time.
1: Yeah, it it feels safer to be open when you know that, that we also, as, as humans, have the capacity to move through pain. And so then when we find tools to be able to do that, we're more resilient. And I think we're just not as afraid of what comes at us. So it's easier to just, you know, here I am world. And I think also when we, when we really can open our heart in that sensitive and strong way that I don't know. We challenge the assumption that we will be hurt, and um, maybe we won't be as much as we once thought. No, I know <clears throat> what you mean.
0: I was just reading something yesterday, I think, on Susanna Marie's Facebook page. She's been on backup. <clears throat> she wrote this thing about how when the individual sense of self drops off and is no longer predominant, and one knows oneself. Mm-hmm as cosmic being or you know mm-hmm. then everything is passing through you the good the bad and the ugly but it, it doesn't shake your status as cosmic being you know there's there's totally. there's a saying that yeah, ex- Brahman is the eater of everything the container of everything it, it, it has the capacity to contain all the extremes of the universe without in itself being perturbed
1: totally i have a good poem for this moment oh boy I had a really cool experience recently. I said a prayer. I've been Just this whole journey, too, has just been an incredible ex- experiment and experience with prayer. And I said a prayer recently. I just, it was like, I, I want to level up. <laughs> just, I, I wanted to get out of, kind of bust out of some old patterns. And then, like, the next day, this lady reached out to me who I'd never met. Who was like, hey, I found your poetry, and can I give you a four-hour session of this, like, I don't know, type of healing I'd never heard of. And I was like, okay, it was for free. So I was like, oh, sure, okay. And it was incredibly potent and powerful. And there have been really two times in my life where I've had these extremely profound, the I am experiencing the I am from a totally different vantage point. And this was one of those. This was about two months ago. And then this poem came out right after. It's called, There's an Essence. There's an essence within you that can neither be enhanced nor diminished. It spans universes and embraces the minuscule, the infinitesimal. It is infinite in the way that the numbers between zero and one are infinite, which is completely and wondrously eternally satisfying and yet allows for infinitely more infinities. It is the exaltation of the hermit crab when it ceases to need to scurry from shell to shell to find respite. This essence dips into pools of intergalactic radiance for play and restoration. It tickles the stars and high fives the suns. It has no need to bypass the trappings of the small mind, but nor does it take them too seriously." There is nothing to prove or do or please to earn this. This is your birthright that I solemnly swear, no, joyfully exclaim, all humanity is growing into.
0: That's great. Thank you. <clears throat> Reminds me of another Vedic saying. It goes, uh, ano raniyan Mahian," which means smaller than the smallest, bigger than the biggest.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That was a very, very profound uh, experience. The main thing I came away with was that first line that there's an essence within us that can neither be enhanced nor diminished. It's just completely satisfied in its own nature. Like, there's just nothing you have to do to get to exactly where you want to be. And that also, this inherent essence is just sown with the also profoundly satisfying experience of connection. There is nothing, again, that you need to do or try for to earn or win connection, but it's just, we just have it within us and can drink it in and totally enjoy it.
0: If you have infinity and subtract a hundred from it, you still have infinity. If you add Ah. a hundred to it, you still have infinity.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So what were you saying about Daniel Lodinsky, There was some interesting story about him?
1: Yes. He was really a, a, he's my primary poetic inspiration. He's really the only poet that I feel has influenced my work. So yeah, I bought these two books of his because I liked the format and I needed ideas for my books. So basically, Daniel Ladinsky does all of the English renderings of Hafez poetry, which is originally written in Farsi.
0: So does he translate um, from the Farsi?
1: No. So he actually doesn't even speak Farsi, but he uses the, the translations. And then he's an incredible poet in and of his own self, and he had a mystical experience with Hafez that inspired his writing. And so he kind of takes the translations and and brings them, infuses them with what he believes is the original kind of spirit, intended spirit. Seems like Hafez is
0: messing with people. First he messed with Daniel, then he messed with you.
1: He's a total trickster, yeah. <laughs> so anyway... You know, I bought these books that are Hafez books rendered by Daniel Ladinsky, and that's really what started cracking this process open. And so, yes, yeah, after three weeks of intense and joyful, though, intense and joyful, just conversation with Hafez, like Daniel Ladinsky, I get an email from him in my inbox, which how
0: was did, how so... How did he even get your email?
1: I have no idea. Actually, I don't think I've even asked him. I should ask. So he found me and he said, hey, Shalán, I found your book. <laughs> Congratulations. Seems like it's doing really phenomenally well, even internationally. And just he was so generous and kind and celebratory. And then I had used a quote of his and my Amazon description that I had miscited. So he said uh, he was totally relaxed about it. He just said this was late December. So he said sometime next year at your leisure, just if you could amend that. So then I wrote him back totally unfiltered email because I was in just this complete state of awe that he had reached out to me after I had been praying to Hafez. And I just told him the whole story. I said, oh my God, Daniel, I've got to tell you this whole story. So I did. I told him I had this A-team of dead authors and Hafez was in charge of them. And and I, I sent him a poem that I felt was particularly inspired by Hafez. And then... It was my commitment to myself to just really ask for the things that I wanted. And and so I said, Daniel, while I have you, could I send you my book? And if you're genuinely moved to do it, would you consider endorsing it? So I just sent that off on a wing and a prayer. I assumed he had all this fan mail. that He might never respond to me, whatever, whatever. And then that night I got an email back from him that said, um, So Shalán, this is strange on so many levels because I rarely reach out to people. People miscite my my work thousands of times every day. So I really, it must have been Hafez that nudged me to connect (laughs) with you. And he said, and this is extremely rare. I've never done this before, but I just really feel that you and I need to co-author a book together. That's cool. So that was just like, it was like the skies opened and it was like, um pure bliss. I just had this hysterical uh, moment. So he, he moment. wrote
0: some kind of a intro to one of your books, but are you actually going to co-author yeah. one
1: with him? We've started and then that just launched us into this extraordinary, extraordinary few months of intense collaboration. And we were both just inspiring each other. It was like this wild poetic dance. We'd send each other like 20 emails a day It was like a poem that kept evolving. And so we started working on a book together called Letters to and from a Young Poet. And there's a Rilke, a German poet, Rilke classic called Letters to a Young Poet. So we were going to kind of spin off of that and modernize it, but it was going to be more back and forth. And we made really wonderful headway with that. And then we also started working on a book of haiku called Two Zucchinis Dancing, (laughs) Uh, a sweet haiku from the kitchen. So it's all just haiku about food. And it was just so fun. It was the most exhilarating, joyful experience of my life. And then we also dabbled in some other ones. So those are still kind of those are kind of shelved in terms of really bringing them all the way home for now. But yeah, he wrote me a foreword for my book. And he's just a, a good friend.
0: That's great. That's exciting.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's really incredible. Not just that it happened, but the, really what was incredible about it was the way, the way that it happened. Can I read that poem that I sent him? Yeah, please. It's called Hafez Was Generous. And yeah, this I is in it. Susceptible to Light. So this is a, the poems I'm reading are a mix. Some are from this book. Some are from Let Us Dance. Hafez was generous. Hafez was generous. I asked him for help with my poetry and he stuffed my heart with a thousand suns, for starters. He poured a collection of instruments into my soul and announced, play. He spit shined my inner eye that it might see wild magic everywhere, winking back at it. I asked Hafez for help with my poetry, and he responded, it's about time you asked. I've been waiting with a stampede of muses to unleash upon you. I've been waiting with a cosmos of roses to hand to you to bring forth even the shyest part of your love and get it dancing. I asked Hafez for help with my poetry. He said, all poems already are like luminous birds in the spirit realm you simply must summon them and he started wildly throwing bird food directly into my soul there's a secret trap door in heaven when you pull on that string god topples down upon you i asked hafez for help with my poetry and he pushed god out that door to land right on top of my heart <laughs> that's
0: great thank really, you really nice do you um, mean this kind of literally? We've sort of touched on it, but, you know, this new agey type people often yes. think of their being ascended masters or, you know, some celestial beings or whatever that are interceding in human affairs in various ways mm. and perhaps using certain individuals as representatives of their intentions or as mouthpieces through which they can speak. Do you literally feel like something like that is going on? With Hafez? With Hafez or this A-team you mentioned or whatever?
1: <laughs> well, it's in, so interesting. I mean, um, it's hard to deny it uh, mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, I'm not poo-pooing just, the
0: idea. I kind of believe you know, it works that way, but no. I'm just sort seeing if you do.
1: Well, I'm not, you know, I we have so many layers to us. And one part of me is like totally like rah-rah, um, let's ask dead poets for help. And then the other part of me is also like kind of stubbornly like has doubt about the mystical and the things like that. But anymore after this experience, I'll say I find myself experimenting with it more. And I think that's all I can really say. But I mean, you know, self-published poetry, I had essentially no connections with anybody. I had no marketing team. And I, just the, the way that this is, has expanded, it's, it's hard to understand why things would have happened like this without some kind of influence.
0: Yeah, I think the universe works that way, personally.
1: But I kind of like not being certain about it. You yeah, know, I think no, it's, that's it's, good. There's a dynamic edge to like, okay, I'm going to keep trying this. Let's see how it goes now and, yeah. and getting information as we try these things.
0: I have a lot of respect for the scientific method and for the relationship between yeah. science and spirituality. I yeah. think they each possess qualities which the other needs. And what spirituality Same. needs from science is the sort of empirical, a little bit skeptical, not being blindly faithful attitude, taking things as hypotheses which should be tested rather than things that you need to believe in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, very important. Yeah, I and, agree, yeah. And
0: then what science needs from spirituality is the whole toolkit of being able to explore these subtle dimensions, which you know, materialist science doesn't have a clue about. Yeah, totally. A couple of questions came in. Now, does Mary Reed live in Washington, D.C.?
1: Maryland, uh, right on the border. So I think
0: this is from Mary. Uh, oh, nice. She says, um, It would be interesting to know about Chelan's spiritual upbringing.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the Baha'i faith. Oh, Baha'i.
0: Yeah. Seals and cross Yeah. I used to love them.
1: Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with the Baha'i teachings, basically just um, really a beautiful worldview uh, that all, let's see, a, a really unitive worldview that all people are inherently just very, very in- interconnected. and. The kind of the crowning point of our maturity as, as human people is to be able to operate harmoniously in a worldwide, as a global society, and that all religions come from the same source, and the, their purpose is to help humanity develop both um, spiritually and socially. So anyway, there's a lot of just real beauty there, and I'm so grateful I think it really helped me have a trajectory for my my mind and and heart, and it gave me even just the concept of God and um the concept of prayer. But then also interestingly, what something that the Baha'i faith says, the Baha'i teachings say is that that you can't inherit a religion from your parents. like it just doesn't doesn't work. And so no matter how beautiful your faith is, you really need to go through a process of really finding your own your own relationship. There, And so for the last 10 years or so also, I've been really in a process with that and uh, shedding some piece, a lot of pieces of that and refinding some pieces. That's a very
0: nice mature thing for a, a religion to say, you know, because usually mm-hmm. they're very possessive and uh, if you leave the fold, you're fallen and, and so on.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, but then it's interesting, like I, I think a lot of people in the Baha'i community would do well to take that advice. And so it's funny how our conditioning around religion, I guess, can even be a stronger player than the teachings themselves sometimes. Sure. And the community is continuing to evolve, which is wonderful.
0: Well, I think most people in every religion would do well to actually (laughs) heed the advice of its founder, you know?
1: (laughs) It's it's the exception
0: (laughs) rather than the rule. Good
1: point. (laughs) Yes.
0: It's interesting that you grew up in the Baha'i faith because that <laughs> came out of Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and yeah. that's where Hafiz was.
1: Yeah, Hafez. that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, I don't know. You are probably
0: Hafiz's wife in, in that life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, that would have been an interesting life. He was like exiled several times, and uh, I'd have been down for that. Maybe you were his mother, I don't, I don't know. Ah, that's hilarious. Maybe I was him. Could, yeah, I
0: that's did. what Irene just said. Why, why, <laughs> why, what am I saying there? You, of course he could have been. Yeah, women
1: just stay women. <laughs> the title for this book, Let Us Dance, actually was given to me in this really profound moment. I was on Baha'i pilgrimage when I was 21. The whole Baha'i Holy Land is in Israel, and it's a nine-day pilgrimage going to visit all these holy sites. And the place I was most excited to go to was... Baha'u'llah who's the founder of the Baha'i faith, his prison cell. And so this big group and I went to this prison cell and we, there was always time to meditate and pray and such. And so I I closed my eyes for really what felt like, and I've never had an experience like this one. I closed my eyes for what really felt like an instant. And I opened my eyes and everyone had left the prison cell and the door was closed. I was alone in this prison cell. And um, at that time, my relationship with the Baha'i Faith was very complex. And really I, I feel like the primary tension was like needing to listen to my own inner voice and intuition and guidance system and, and wondering it like it was that okay. Anyway, so I, I opened my eyes, I was alone in this prison cell, and I really experienced, heard without ears, very clear voice inside of me that I took to be Baha'u'llah that said, Let us dance. And what that communicated to me was just, you know, I was invited to go on just a really authentic, dynamic journey with God. And um, it just cracked my heart open. And I I started singing and there were these amazing acoustics. And like, I knew that was going to be the name of a book of poetry one day.
0: Hmm. That's fantastic. Experiences like that, I take him very seriously and quite well, literally, with, but with a grain of salt. But that could have been Baha'u'llah. You know, I mean, I think that kind of thing has happened to so many people. Yeah, Muhammad, you know, I mean, had some kind of visitation from angels which cracked him open and kick-started his whole spiritual trip that he went on. And there are many examples throughout history. So this kind of stuff happens.
1: Yeah. And yeah, whether or not it had an effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. Do so, you ever figure out how yeah. long you had actually been in the cell with your eyes closed?
1: Well, it's interesting because there were a lot of Persians in my group and they were like long, like they would like pray for so long in all these spots. And there were other times when I was really hoping to get some time alone and there was, it was like, there's no way. So I imagine it was a while. And you must have cause gone really deep because
0: other- you didn't even hear them leave.
1: Didn't hear him leave. Yeah. Didn't hear the door close. Nothing. Wow. It was bizarre. That's yeah. really cool. It was really bizarre. Yeah, the trip to Israel came a month after, you mentioned the guy with the brain trauma that started playing piano. Right. It happened a month after really surprise brain surgery you that ha- I had. You had
0: brain surgery?
1: Yeah, for an aneurysm uh, in the central artery of my brain that they found accidentally. You, and, were you uh, having
0: symptoms, or they just somehow? No. Why did they? No symptoms. What, they, no
1: health issues. They did a CT scan yeah. for some reason. Yeah, uh, I had a sort of a jaw issue, mm-hmm. and I don't even know why I got it's so weird that I I went to get an MRI for a jaw issue because it was pretty low key. It doesn't make sense, and they they were like, "Oh, there's your jaw's fine, but you've got a blurry area in your brain, and it might be an aneurysm. You might want to follow up on that." And I did, it was this gigantic aneurysm and they said I wouldn't have lived to be 30. So that was just a very dramatic time in my life. And it was kind of shortly after all of that too, for me that that poetry really like cracked open wide and just interesting things that all play a part.
0: That is very interesting. Was it Mm -hmm. very deep in the brain?
1: It was in the central artery of my brain. It was behind my left eye. I've got an excellent scar from here to here. Yeah, I, it, was, it was pretty well in there. That's, yeah, it was no joke.
0: That's very interesting. Oh, well, I'm glad they found it.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> really. <laughs> okay, a few nice little questions come in here. Here's one from uh, Andrea Gutfleisch in Mannheim, Germany. Where do I find this amazing poem? It really goes deep. Would love to read it again. Love to hear about how Shallan was unpacking her gift. Which one? Which poem? Not sure, but they're all amazing. Mm. So you have two books, and a lot of your poems are on your Facebook page. And yes. I will put links on your page on Batgap to both of your books on Amazon that people can just click on and go. Fantastic.
1: Through. Thank you so much. Oh, sure.
0: They can get the physical one, or does it, is it also a Kindle, or what?
1: Yep, it's an ebook. Both are on Amazon and then also there will be signed copies of both books at my local independent mom-owned bookstore. It's called Wacoma Bookstore, W A U C O M A. Out there in Oregon, you mean? Yep, and it would be really it'd be really fun to blast them with sales. They're so great. Yeah. Yeah. So if everybody listening could just
0: fly to Oregon and buy it there, then... uh...
1: No, they ship them around the world. Oh, they
0: ship them. So send me information about that and I'll put that on, on your page also.
1: And then I'd love to stay in touch too with listeners. I'm still sharing new poems pretty much every day. Facebook is the main platform I use for that. Okay.
0: You know, another thing you might want to do, I just, I'm listening right now to a book on Audible from a guy I'm going to interview. And I said, you know, if I have to read the book, I'm not going to get through it. But if you can send me an Audible version, I w- I'll listen a couple hours a day. And so I'm doing yes. that. I really enjoy it. So you could actually consider making versions of your book yes. that you read.
1: I know I will down the road. There are two people that are doing that for me Good. at this time. So I think I'll use those until... I like the idea of, of it being my voice, reading them. That will happen for sure.
0: Good. Someone named uh, Anwat Bradley in Santa Cruz. Any plans for audiobook versions of both your books soon? Hearing you recite your beautiful poetry sends the love, light, and joy vibrations straight to my heart. Thank you and bless oh, you. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah,
0: so there's a sign from the universe. And here's another question that came in from Angelica Cullen. In Tampa, Florida, excuse me if I mispronounce names, has Shalanda experienced (laughs) Chelan? I've been working on this. We were saying before we started that I should just remember Shazam. (laughs) So has Shazam experienced that consumption of certain foods or exposure to modern day noise like social media or TV has had a negative impact on her ability to download these poems? Interesting question. And equally, are there some beneficial practices or ways of living that can increase one's ability to be an open and clear channel?
1: Oh, what a good question. Yeah. Well, regarding the first sort of two-part question, the last seven months I've lived off a a steady diet of peanut butter toast (laughs) and and hemp mochas. (laughs) So... No, I don't think so with the diet. And that's just because I was like just focusing on such a pace. I really, it was like being a mother and writing poetry and I I just couldn't be bothered with uh, food prep. I mean, I ate other things too, but that's to say that I don't, I don't think that's a factor for me. And then I've also, I've never consumed so much social media because I've just been in this intense, beautiful communication with people about my work, but Facebook, you know these things are tools, and they can be used in all kinds of ways and um, when you're you're putting out love and you're just not letting the the, the stuff in that bothers you, you can just like un- hide hide people's posts and stuff like you can really just create a beautiful, nourishing virtual garden for your heart. So it has been that experience for me um, being on Facebook, but then in terms of other practices. Anything for me that just continues to open my heart and trying to grow in strength to be able to be more wisely vulnerable, like sharing, opening when it feels feels right. And so I, I do a lot of healing, of healing work of all kinds. So anything that really works for you, I think, to really allow you to let go of old energies and perceptions that have been stuck in you. That's profoundly helpful for me.
0: And there are so many things. I mean, just as exemplified by all the people I've interviewed, I mean, there are just so many different paths and practices and teachers and teachings. I mean, I just have the attitude of finding what resonates with you, you know, what works for you.
1: Yes, because it can be overwhelming. There are so many different methods of Healing practices and meditation practices and this and that. So, I think, yeah, doing your best to just start trying if that's what you're looking for. And then, whatever works for you, keep going with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you need to sometimes dedicate yourself to something and not be a dilettante that just flits from one thing to the next. But on the other hand, it, you know, if you dig your heels in and just stick with one thing that isn't working and just persist with it for, Years and years, you could actually waste time. So you have to kind of find the balance. Yes. Mirabai Starr gave a nice talk one time called Bees in the Garden and how she felt that the way bees go from flower to flower and extract nectar from each one, that we can do that as spiritual practitioners without being dilettantes, without being superficial dabblers.
1: Mm. Yeah, cool.
0: Want to read another poem?
1: Yeah, let me do that. Let's see. I've got all these poems flagged. Maybe I'll just open to one one of them. Oh, this this one actually feels appropriate. There was a time when I thought I really needed to, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this either, but when I really thought I needed to read all these sacred scriptures and I needed to be like very well versed intellectually to merit to be worthy of like spiritual joy. I guess so this kind of this poem kind of speaks to that. It's called Name Drop Gods. (laughs) For years, I thought I had to name drop Hindu gods for my poetry to be valid, but I hadn't really met any yet. (laughs) I thought I needed to read all the sacred scriptures, but they were all so dense and cumbersome. Perhaps if I listed a couple yoga pose names, yes, any kind of Sanskrit must be the key to making my words spiritual and enlightened, be a bit more esoteric, Shalan, a bit harder to unravel. Make your poetry a necklace of tangled prayer beads. Your readers will want to extract God more from your poetry for not being able to access it. Well, thank God all that changed. And thank God it turns out all scripture, every spiritual encounter, every holy ordinance is repeating the same universal simplicity over and over and over. It's either saying, open your heart or nothing at all. And I think just to, I think there can be a really beautiful thirst for knowledge. And that can be a very beautiful and enlivening thing. But then I think there's another way to relate to the kind of academic pursuit of spirituality, where it is kind of like, putting our destination out there like if we read enough so that's the one i'm speaking to there
0: yeah also it's a personal proclivity kind of thing i mean some people are inclined to do certain things and some people are inclined to do others but i I think a universal thing is that there really has to be the experiential component Mm -hmm. um whether or not you in, in, in garnish it with intellectual understandings um Yes the, the 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 experience is really what those understandings are all about anyway so you should make sure to get that.
1: Yeah, and some intellectual understandings can unlock us and open us to that experience. Yeah. But then there can also yeah, there can just be like a a collecting of intellectual experience that doesn't necessarily get us where we want to go.
0: Yeah, I'd say they they serve a couple of functions. One is to just alert us to the fact that certain possibilities exist, which we might not Mm. otherwise be aware of. And another is to kind of safeguard the path in 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 a way so that we don't mistake some certain experience for something else, like, or, you know, have a certain level of experience and assume we're finished, for instance, which I've actually heard some people say, whereas if we had a little bit better understanding, we realize that there's so much more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess yeah, a harmonious relationship between the conceptual yeah, and the experiential is is a nice uh nice way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like we could say uh you know somebody there's a there's a cook named Bobby Flay and he he's on TV, he has his own TV show and he's really good. And a really good cook has a good balance between a lot of knowledge about cooking and also kind of a intuitive creative approach to it so that he's not strictly bound by that knowledge.
1: Yeah, and I feel I enjoy kind of um, just being an advocate for the experiential way and more of my poetry is geared toward that because I, I don't think it gets enough cred or enough just really potent advocacy about like just this experienced spirituality or embodied spirituality, you could say. Yeah. So I like talking about that.
0: Maybe you could read one or more of these These kind of jumped out at me. The Sacred Wears a Good Costume, Heart Warriors, or Our Great Cocoon. Maybe you feel inclined to read one or another of those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll read The Sacred Wears a Good Costume. Okay. For starters, anyway. And I'll also plug this dear friend, Mary Reed, our mutual connection. She's going to put out an incredible film sometime in the nearish future. And my poetry will be part of that film. This will be in there, this one. The sacred wears a good costume. The sacred wears a good costume. She loves to dress up as the ordinary. Sometimes like a queen in peasant clothes, she cloaks herself in the mundane to get a break from all that fawning. So how do you know it's her in there? Look closer at things when you can, and to your heart she'll give a certain knowing wink. <laughs> That's nice.
0: For those who are just listening to the audio, Shalane um, just winked.
1: <laughs> I'm actually not a good winker. I shouldn't have oh, you did okay. tried that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Can only wink with my right eye.
0: Oh, because of the brain surgery?
1: No, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> I think it's just a... Can you wink with both? Oh, you yeah, can. Yeah, I can. Uh-huh. Nice. What a great capacity. <laughs> can you raise both eyebrows?
0: Yeah, I can. I mean, I mean,
1: one at a time. Oh, I, mean-
0: <laughs> I don't think so. No, I can't do that.
1: Okay. I can only raise my left. I can scrunch
0: left. up one side of my face. See that? Oh,
1: that's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> my mother used to call that my buffalo face because we, we visited relatives in Buffalo and I started doing it then. And
1: so. Oh, funny. <laughs> can you frown? Some people can't frown. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's not much of a... (laughs) That's more of a scowl, but you can't do the downturn lip. No,
0: no, you try that. Okay, let's see. That was a good poem, The Great Cocoon. It kind of harkens back to our theme of God hiding in plain sight. We didn't use that exact phrase, but there's a nice phrase. God is in everything, and everything is in God. It works both ways, you know? But I feel it's literally true, and that, you know, everything, I mean, this kombucha bottle or, or whatever, if you could see it in its true nature, you'd be looking at God. God's not yeah, it, he's not some puppeteer off on, on some cloud, you know, pulling strings. Yes. He's totally infused into everything.
1: Isn't it amazing how dense we can be that this quality of divinity can be everywhere and we can have such such blinders on it. Such an interesting dynamic, huh? It's amazing.
0: The power of maya, the power of illusion, There's, it deludes God, God herself, you know, because mm-hmm. if God is really the ultimate and complete and all-pervading reality, then then we're God, and yet we've forgotten it. So somehow we're God having forgotten who we are or what we are.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a juicy waking up experience, though. Let me read a poem. This is called I no longer pray and it's it's kind of touches on this. I was just really frustrated with prayer all my life. Like it just felt kind of abstract and and vague like is is anything is anybody out there? Yeah, right. Is anybody listening to me? Like maybe something would happen in some yeah, just very diluted, very vague way. I didn't feel connected to it intensely or potently. And I was frustrated with that, but and I also felt like, you know, if prayer, if there is something that works, you know, if there is a universal force or a network in which we can we can connect with that and, and ask for our our soul's desires, you know, or ask for help or whatever. Like that is a master that's the master key. And it's free and it's universal. And like so I, I really wanted to Tap the the power of prayer and and just didn't know didn't really have a clue, but I've had some just really extraordinary prayer experiences. Just really being direct with God, really being about all the things: my anger with God, my frustrations, my and my desires. This experience in the last seven months was my first time of really feeling like I like I was plugged in and like like things were actually being received and and shifting because of these prayers. So here we go. This is called I No Longer Pray. I no longer pray. Now I drink dark chocolate and let the moon sing to me. I no longer pray. I let my ancestors dance through my hips at the slightest provocation. I no longer pray. I go to the river and howl my ancient pain into the current. I no longer pray. I ache, I desire, I say yes to my longing. I no longer pray as I was taught, but as the stars crawl onto my lap like soft animals at nighttime, and God tucks my hair behind my ears with the gentle fingers of her wind. And a new intimacy is uncovered in everything. Perhaps it's that I'm finally learning how to pray. Very nice.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's great. I couldn't begin to write poems like this. I No? I don't think so. We all have our gifts.
1: But I couldn't begin to interview. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about this a little bit yesterday. You're... One of your magical capacities is to interview people. Yeah, I'm perfectly
0: happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to become an NBA basketball star either, but I have no, yep. no regrets about that.
1: <laughs> exactly. We don't have to do it all. Yeah. But it is satisfying, you know, if there is something implanted in there that we really want to do to pursue that. And, and that's
0: an interesting <laughs> mm-hmm. point in itself, I interviewed a guy named Stephen Cope a few weeks ago, and we were talking about Dharma, Dharma meaning that mm-hmm. course of action which is most evolutionary and most appropriate for each individual, given their gifts and you know what they can do to serve. And mm-hmm. I think everybody has one. It's not necessarily going to make you world famous or, or rich or anything yes. like that, but everybody has one, and when you find it, it can be extremely gratifying. Yes. You know, life can be very fulfilled. Like we were saying an hour ago, that suffering is very often a consequence of our not having found our dharma, not having unlocked the inner gift, which we intuitively know is there.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't feel either way, ultimately, about this. But if there's always a thing, you know, or if sometimes it's just kind of infusing our experience, whatever it is, with our joy or i don't know no, i know Everyone what you mean like a really distinct thing maybe they do i don't maybe they do
0: I mean, when i was interviewing him we were talking about people who work at an amazon warehouses <laughs> or walmart or something and yeah you know could that really be their dharma and i i gave mm. i gave an example of a woman who works at our local walmart who is just so much fun to interact with she's always totally. la- laughing and helping people and she seems to be having a grand old time you know
1: <laughs> I have a really distinct memory of a, a guy working at the airport as the ticket mm-hmm. guy who would give you your tickets, and he was so—I was like, man, this this guy's totally enlightened. Like he was just filled with light and sharing it with everybody. And those people, their their work too, it's transcendent above what they do because they're they're showing with their way and their actions that that kind of like radiant joy can be had in any space it's pretty profound when people are able to do that
0: and he probably but sees <laughs> you know a couple thousand people a day or whatever and uplifts every yes. one of them
1: exactly but I, I do have a poem about what you were talking about that's so spot on i okay. i must read great it. please before i read it i think you know we all have things that bring us joy for sure And then, when we can put meaning behind what brings us joy through sharing that in some way, in a way that benefits others, then that, I think that's our Dharma. Like, it's not, doesn't have to be that complex. It's, I think we can demystify that to some degree. Is just, what's the path of what really brings us joy? Because whatever it is, if we're coming from that place, it activates that in those that we make contact with. And that's such a potent gift. But, okay. So here's the thing that makes your heart sing. This poem is called. The thing that makes your heart sing might be quirky as hell. It might not do anything for capitalism. No one might buy it. You've probably written this thing off countless times for those reasons and because you probably should do the dishes or something more practical like that instead. But this thing that makes your heart sing is the thing inside of you that most wants to topple your kingdom of shoulds, that wants deeply and burningly to be prioritized and for no particular reason, but that it brings so much light. It wants to look you straight in the eye and say, let's do this, baby. Even if it's drilling holes in seashells and stringing them to fishing line, even if it's drawing, anatomical pictures of a flower with great care that are never meant to be hung in an art gallery, but to be pressed into the precious pages of your heart. Even if it's making a new kind of cookie each week and devouring them with relish on your couch by yourself, a sweet sacrament just meant to share with your taste buds. This thing that makes your heart sing will resurrect parts of your life and restore a sacred nutrient to your days. It can be muted but never silenced. If you're not sure what it is, just listen for the reoccurring whispers in your chest of that flame that will not die. The paradox is this. While the thing itself might seem simple, this thing that makes your heart sing will create a luminosity so bright you'll be the envy of all the stars and they'll want to jump into your body to feel it.
0: Mm, Wonderful. Love it. That's really good.
1: It's nice how our conversation has just naturally brought up these thematically aligned poems.
0: Yeah, it's cool how it's a certain fun. point will come up and then you'll say, I've got a poem for that, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and you've really kind of nailed a lot of these different subtle points in in beautiful verse. There's another one I want you to read. It's um, yep. The God Who Made the Octopus.
1: Oh, sure, that's a fun one. I like that one. That one came through right after this... Um, Incredible sot song that I was invited to participate in with Mary Reed and I think she sent you that video. I listened to that, yeah. I'm so glad that that I don't usually
0: watch videos, I listen I extract the audio from them and then I listen to Oh
1: cool. Okay. The God who made the octopus. If you think the eccentric God who made the octopus is gonna judge you for your sins, I'm afraid you've missed the mark. If you think this wild God that spins galaxies as a pastime cares to get fussy about your mistakes or has ever made anything that wasn't born perfect and luminous, you might need to repent. If you can't yet admit how lovable and infinitely worthy the fullness of your human nature is, And if you think God wants to do anything but perpetually pour an abundance of love gifts upon you, well, my dear, your soul just might need to go to confession.
0: Very nice. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher, by the way?
1: Oh, recently. And I loved it so much. It's great. I loved it.
0: It's a documentary Mm -hmm. for those who don't know. It won the Oscar for Best Documentary, but everybody who watches it just totally loves it i think it's on netflix
1: can i tell you about the process of publishing this second book sure let us dance you can tell me anything well this book is roughly 100 pages longer than my first book and again all the poems have come through just in the last seven months which has just been incredible and oh another thing that's just important to mention is this whole journey has just been completely easeful there's been no pushing or forcing or stress. It's just been, anyway, it's been very amazing like that. But then I wasn't sure when I was going to get around to publishing this next book, and it didn't feel like there was any climactic moment in which I didn't have anything planned for that. And we show the picture of it again, Rick? The
0: the picture of what?
1: Let Us Dance. Yeah, sure. Oh, cool. So you see that beautiful firewoman dancing in the middle. I had found that picture, and I thought that I would need to have an artist remake it so it wasn't plagiarism or that I didn't have to pay a whole bunch for it. And so that was really my main holdup with publishing this book. And then a generous person reached out to me to offer to make me a website pretty much for free. And she said, hey, I know you don't have a cover yet, but could you just give me a picture that can be like a stand-in? And this was two weeks before today. And so I got her that middle picture of that firewoman dancing. And while I was doing that, I saw that it's free for commercial use. So then I was like, oh, man, I I felt like I got a cosmic wallop in that moment. And it was like, Chelan, this is free. You need to run with this and you need to have it done by July 3rd, your interview time with Rick so you can announce it at Buddha at the Gas Pump. And so then it was like just like that passage you read about how everything comes together when you commit so I really, this last two weeks, I, I put together this book, and it was easeful, even though it was, it was intense. So I'm so grateful to have had this motivation and just the way it all, all the things aligned is just very cool.
0: The whole principle of effortless action is, mm. I think, significant. Yes. Maybe some things need to be a little difficult for some reason, but I think for the most part, mm-hmm. if you're really in tune, action is always going to be useful because you know nature has it operates according to a principle of least effort. Like mm. if you throw a ball, there are an infinite number of trajectories the ball could take, but the ball takes the <clears throat> most efficient trajectory. It takes the one with, with the least expenditure of energy, or least effort, and a human being can function in tune with the laws of nature in in a similar way such that nature supports your activity and you're not pushing and pulling against the flow of nature's intentions. And then action is effortless.
1: Totally, and it yeah and and sometimes I think people can interpret that as just pure passivity, but um, no, no, it could be like dynamic be a participant, it's dynamic, it feels to me like like surfing a wave, yeah, you know, you learn some skills and then you just get out there and wait for that beautiful wave, and then it it flows you to places you couldn't have imagined
0: I mean surfing um, is a good example because surfers or yeah. any really top notch athletes there's an effortlessness about their performance which is part of the reason we love to watch them it's so artful because it's so natural and there's there's no sort of awkwardness or clunkiness you know just smooth yes.
1: totally and that actually well describes how it feels when a poem's coming through it's like a wave's coming yeah and i just need to get ready for it yeah. yeah and standing up the equivalent of standing up on the board would be just i need to get a pen really fast yeah
0: hanging in yeah. ten do you um, still write them most days
1: Almost every day. The last two days, not, because it was just this...
0: Getting your book finished and everything.
1: Getting it all finished and stuff. And it was respectful. It was like, I'm not going to bother you today, the the muse. (laughs) But yeah, almost daily. That's great. Almost daily. Mm -hmm. Do
0: you feel a sort of a a maturation or an evolution taking place?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yes. Let Us Dance has a very different tone than susceptible to light they both at the heart have this intention to liberate expression and affirm inherent light and help people navigate their shadows and let us dance i got so much affirmation with susceptible to light that it encouraged me to kind of expand and try new things and speak more boldly really it just really empowered my voice so I would do more. It was very much a process of experimenting. And so I would make experiments and see how they were received. And then they were well-received. So that emboldened me further. And so there's, I would say there's a bolder tone in Let Us Dance. My writing really, really transformed through working with Daniel Lidinsky too, because it was I was writing like sixty hours a week, like never before, just pulling from the depths. Writing and like what? I, just
0: poems or all kinds of stuff? With, with...
1: Um, mostly so this this book, um, Letters to and from a Young Poet, a lot of time was poured into that. Is there and then yeah? Is there
0: I, prose in that or is it just lots of yeah, poems? It's, it's
1: almost it's almost all prose. Well, that's going to be very interesting a potent book i hope it i hope it completes someday oh it probably and will then, just
0: just in time for you to go on the oprah show
1: <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go yeah and then just a, t- a ton of poetry and then i was also working on a book that he was encouraging uh that also will come to life someday it's called becoming the full moon the many phases of love creative expression and wholeness so see. that's another book of prose
0: I look forward to reading this stuff. We'll have to do another interview one of these days. I would love that. Yeah.
1: I'd love that. And it was really through that process, working with him, that I I really re-identified as, oh, I'm a poet. This isn't a side gig. Like, this is what I do. And this is what I'm here for. Really connecting with that Dharma sense, too, in a very potent way. So it's transformational. It's
0: great. So is there anything else that we want to talk about or certain poems that you're going to kick yourself if you don't read today? good
1: question. Good question. Are there any more questions that Uh, people have?
0: No other questions have come in. And uh, in terms of the poems you sent me, let's see. A More Loving Candidate, Crown Chakra, Hafiz Was Generous, you already read that one. Things Are About to Get Interesting, those are some of the ones Mm. you... uh,
1: That I haven't yet yet read yet. I'll read one more of those. Okay. I'll read The Soul's Homeland. I did a little editing, actually, of this poem today. Okay, The Soul's Homeland. Sometimes my soul feels itself to be in great exile from its homeland. But then I remember my mother tongue is the poetry my heart is so fluent in. It's dialect, laughter, and tears. My other native language is rising early to praise all the great things the sun falls upon. My national song is a geyser of joy, hitting the highest notes of ecstasy and breaking every glass ceiling in the mind that once trapped God inside. My anthem is the feisty love parade that marches gaily from my heart to yours. My religion is the untying of old knots that once kept my soul hitched to rigidity and smallness, and my doctrine is whatever comes after that when the soul's full range of movement is restored. My flag is every mood of the moon that reflects my inmost heart. My ancestry is the collection of radiance from morning dew, passed down by blades of grass as they stand vigil in silent reverence to be part of the wonderment of receiving the ancient inheritance of each new morning. My DNA is the encrypted love notes written in the luminous ink from the stars. My soul is an ancient heritage of love songs from God. And whatever it is I'm doing here has mostly to do with pledging allegiance to this glorious anthem. Whatever I'm doing here, has mostly to do with expressing my devotion for the borderless birthplace deep in my chest, where beauty again and again takes her first breath.
0: Awesome. Very nice. Thank you. So this is really cool. Really glad we got a chance to do this.
1: And the two hours flew by on the outset. That seems like a lot, but...
0: Yeah. No problem there. It, it always flies by, you know, because it's so, Wow. as Kermit the Frog said, Time, f- time's fun when you're having flies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just, again, Rick, I just so appreciate just the lack of spiritual egotism that you bring and just the authentic. You know, I've, had yeah. it, I've
0: had it beaten out of me over the decades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we
1: all have some of it, but it's not prominent in uh, you. And just how good that feels. It's so nice to connect with people. at just such a human level. I don't know. You just bring a lot of just this wonderful human, authentic stuff forward, and
0: well, thanks. I really appreciate you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so do you. You know, that's why people like you so much because you're so oh, good. You're so genuine and unpretentious. Oh, um, oh good. Um, I'm
1: glad that I come uh, off that way. Yeah, you and you never um, know. It's always hard to know how we. Uh, yeah, you're
0: kind of buoyant. You're like that we, guy at the airport that just cheers up whoever. You encounter. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's nice to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're a light <laughs> in the world.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Rick. Back at you. And we
0: need more lights like you.
1: Let me talk about what's coming up next. Yeah, sure. So my friend Mary and I are doing a series, we're live streamed series of episodes in which we'll be diving into themes around just the experience of coming out as a mystic, you could say, and... Uh, just embracing the messiness of that process, and just about kind of living, trying to be on the path of living authentic truth. And there's more. Oh, one of the episodes is going to be called "Redefining God." It's going to be juicy. So these going be wonderful. like
0: video webinar, Zoom type things, right?
1: Yeah. And so, and people can sign up to to be part of this. And it's on my website. I'm glad to remember to right. say that. So, uh, Shalan Harkin, first and last You can find it there. It'd be so nice to to have you. It's going to be wonderful. Mary's the coolest person ever. And um, and
0: I'll link just, to that uh, from your page on Batgap. And, yes. And also, probably you. you can put it on Facebook too. And Mary will probably have it on her webpage or Facebook or whatever.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I assume. Great. And then in the coming months, I'm also going to be putting out an album of my music. Wow, music. I see a little guitar on the wall, but it didn't... Oh, yep, that's mine. You didn't tell us about that. Small guitar, big sound. Yeah, I love... Singing and poetry are my two main avenues.
0: You should put some of your poems to song.
1: They don't... I haven't found a way to make that work. I would love to be able to do that. But poetry and song poetry are different things. Yeah. Like you can get away with kind of cheesy rhymes and song poetry because the melody is so nice that works. I don't know. A couple of people
0: who did that well. Well, Dylan obviously had some incredibly poetic songs. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature a few years ago. And (gasps) Donovan had some really great poetic songs put to to melody. And there was a group called the Incredible String Band, whom you've probably never heard of, but I'll have to send you a song or two.
1: My favorite musical poets are the Indigo Girls,
0: mm-hmm.
1: incredible lyricism, and uh, the Abbott Brothers. I don't know if you've heard of Never them. I heard of them. Really beautiful music. Yeah, so that, that'll that be coming out. And then also there's, I'm going to be a panelist with the Center for Contemporary Mysticism in October. That's going to be fun, just a Q&A about all kinds of different juicy subjects. Neat. Well, you're not,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. not running out of things to do, are you? I heard you mention that somebody paid you $500 to come and give a talk. What was that all about?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that was really cool. So, I um many background about that. My 4-year-old son has just really had a it's hard to get him to sleep at night. So, sometimes when we're not feeling very patient, we just take him on a long drive. And it was, I was on one of these long drives not more than a few months ago, and I just Said a little prayer quietly because he was sleeping in the back just for <laughs> for speaking opportunities. And I have really never done any public speaking. And then, like two days later, I I heard from two people who wanted me to be on a podcast. And then this um, other person who just was like, "Hey, can I? I'd love to pay you. I have this organization, and we want to. The theme is moving forward with grace. Can you be the keynote speaker for five hundred bucks?" Wow. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, sure. So I've just really, yeah, I've been saying yes to all the things that, that open that feel like. So that's just been a capacity I've, I've been wanting to develop and I still want to develop. So if anybody has things that they would like to invite me to to join them in, any of the listeners, I, I'm open. I'm excited. That was a really good experience. And, and these three podcasts before this one, Rick, I wouldn't have been ready for this without those. Ah, neat. So I'm grateful for that process.
0: Yeah, well. Mary said in her email to me, I don't think I read read this part. She said, uh, your listeners would very much enjoy having the chance to hear from her before fame swallows her up. I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) So it seems like you're on a roll.
1: We'll see what happens. I'm saying yes to to all the things. I do want my work to reach people. It's it's had a really beautiful effect. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It's so nourishing it is It's the coolest thing imaginable for me for my my work to reach people, and especially because I had held it close for so long and hadn't shared it, I would love it to have as wide of a reach as it possibly might, so we'll see what comes with that.
0: Yeah, I think there's a deep human tendency to want to expand one's territory of influence, and that mm-hmm. that can have a dark side to it or a, a yes a light side to it.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: But it's it's one of those natural human drives, I think.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I've been thinking about that, kind of trying to, you know, assessing my motivations Mm -hmm. and things and thinking about how, you know, fame really, like attachment to fame just really comes from like feeling from a sense of... Smallness. Not an Yeah. Like not enoughness and, and wanting to lean on that crutch of other people's approval or whatever and that doesn't help that doesn't help anyone let alone our, ourselves so yeah
0: anyway yeah but it's a, if it's if the impulse but, is pure and if the motivation is pure then you know we can yes we can utilize that natural tendency for good
1: it's exciting and it's fun it it's really fun to have a platform to to share it is, you know, yeah. love and truth and joy and liberation it's great absolutely so, anyway gosh Rick well I, I don't want to say goodbye
0: yeah well we'll be in touch um and uh, well, you know, just I'll be putting up that BatGap page. But if new things come up, I mean, I, I don't put up people's announcements of every new event or something, but a, a yes. book or you know a new website or you know something of permanent nature, uh, we add them to people's BatGap pages if they want. And for those listening or watching, there'll be several links on your BatGap page that they can follow, like a link to your Facebook and to your website and all. But Obviously, people know how to sign up for emails and become your Facebook friend and all that kind of stuff. We're going to work on that Facebook friend thing. You got too many. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> You're maxed out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for all your support, Rick. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Well, thank you for doing this. It's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And totally fun. we will be
0: talking to each other again.
1: Okay, thanks so, so much. I wish you just all the best and all the good that there is.
0: Yeah, and same for you. Thanks. So, uh, And thanks to those who have been listening or watching. And as I mentioned earlier, next week I'm going to be interviewing a guy about intelligent design, which I find fascinating. And I don't care if some people think it's pseudoscience or something, I think there's something to it, and this guy expresses it brilliantly. So... That should be an interesting conversation, kind of sciency, but if you hang in there with us, I think you'll you'll learn stuff. I certainly have been in preparing for it. so see you next time. talk to you later
1: bye, thanks to all the listeners. Nice talking with you, yeah, bye bye.